have started. Okay, awesome. Good morning, Horizon. I am so delighted today to be interviewing my good friend, Reverend Gerald Waters, the pastor of Proclamation Community Church right here in Philadelphia. And today is June 19th, Juneteenth. And so I asked my friend Gerald, would you be willing to sit down and talk a little bit about what that means? And then also how we as Christian brothers and sisters can be better allies to our Black family and friends and neighbors and communities uh, here in Philadelphia and in the suburbs. So, Gerald, thank you so much for being willing to do this. Pastor Alex, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you and to um, be before uh, our Horizon extended family and uh, just grateful for the time. And so I, I thank you for just the honor of being able to share uh, some of my thoughts and my experiences and um, looking forward to it. Thank you, Gerald. Yeah, I've learned so much, especially over the last few years, I've been trying to do more listening and learning uh, because I realized there was so much I didn't know. And uh, you've been a great help to me. And so I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate you always being willing to answer my questions. And sometimes they're dumb questions, but I appreciate you. You're always kind and patient with me. So thank you. Would you start out by just telling people who don't know what Juneteenth is all about. Really, I think the first time I heard, even heard about Juneteenth, and this speaks to my own ignorance, probably only three or four years ago was the first time I heard about it. And um, I think it's slowly becoming more mainstream, more people are hearing about it. But would you just explain to us, to those who don't know, or maybe aren't quite sure, what's the day all about? Sure, sure, thank you. So um, Juneteenth, you know, and admittedly, um, more recently is when I started to um, kind of get get into it a little deep myself, meaning uh, when I was in high school and things of that nature, we weren't taught about Juneteenth. Um, I just kind of found out about it through one of our mentors um, who would celebrate it at this uh, um, adult senior center that I worked at. And it, it intrigued me to find out exactly what the roots of it was. So, um, so to your point about it not being in the mainstream, um, that's that's the reason for so much ignorance about it. But um, so in essence, what it is, is that um, the Emancipation Proclamation that everyone is pretty much familiar with, the, the proclamation that uh, freed the slaves uh, was signed in January uh, 1853 um, by Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but there was a group of slaves in Texas, in Galveston, Texas, to be specific, um, that a, even after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, uh, they were unaware of their freedom. Hmm. Um, they were unaware of the Declaration to Free Slaves. And so, you know, we think about communication in uh, contemporary terms where if there was some information, we just had to pick up the phone and call somebody and yeah. share the information. But back then, uh, it wasn't like that. And so two years later, um, they find out that this declaration had been signed for slaves to be free. And um, the, the idea of finding out late didn't arise until later on um, because, the, the, like I said, the, the way that um, information traveled and the way that things were communicated back then um they had to go like horse and buggy literally yeah. and so these group of slaves these group of people in texas finds out this information that they that they were free and they just celebrate 
Um, they celebrated. It was really a time of worship, a time of festivals, um, because they were very enthusiastic about being free and what and how it differed from the people on the uh, East Coast, the Confederate states, um, finding out about freedom is a lot of the slaves, when they were freed over in the Southern states, um, they didn't, it wasn't that celebratory for them because um, after they were free, they didn't have places to go, um, things to do. And so they um, were happy to have that new status. Um, however, it wasn't as celebratory as it was over in Texas because they didn't have access to other things um, that will help them to perpetuate their freedom and help them to be able to walk in their freedom. Um, so this group over in Galveston um, decided to celebrate um, June 19th when they got the announcement that they were free. Um, and it, it, it really has implications now because they're, they're, there's a lot of people who are still, it, it, the implications rather, I'm sorry, are gospel implications because it reminds me of the fact that um, there are so many people who are who are free, uh, who can be free because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But somebody has to tell them. Yeah. And so I see the whole evangelistic piece connected to Juneteenth. So in essence, that's what the holiday was all about, just celebrating a freedom um, that they received, um, it, it, albeit late, but they still got it and they were happy about being released. Awesome. Yeah. I love how you tied that into the gospel as well that people don't realize the freedom that they have um yeah thank you i did some research uh heading into this obviously on my own but you're already teaching me things gerald so thank you um growing up and this isn't something i've talked about real publicly but my grandfather was a racist uh he subscribed to white supremacist uh newsletters and had a confederate flag out and used racial slurs um and just a really angry uh, hate-filled man. And growing up, I knew I didn't want to be like that. And I thought, well, as long as I'm not that, I'm good. And, and it was almost like a neutral space, you know? Um, and then the last few years, I've heard more and more about being not just not racist, but actually being anti-racist. Um, and so I've been trying to think more and more about like, okay, I knew I didn't want to be like my grandfather. He was racist. Um, but I found myself more in a, well, I'm not racist, so I'm good. But as the conversation has moved to being anti-racist, I'm not always sure what that looks like. What, what in your mind do you think it would look, would look like to be anti-racist and not just not racist, but truly against racism? Uh, great question. Great question. I, I got two things for us to consider. Um, one is, um, I think we got, we got to be proactive about fact-checking information that we get. Con consider the source, right? Um, there's a lot of times where racism is perpetuated because people are saying things about a group of people that is not, that's not factual. And so, um, and people don't take the time to research to find out whether these things that are being said are true. Um, so I think in order to be anti-racist, you have to put yourself in a position to not receive everything that's being fed to you, um, but to really, to really do. And you mentioned it earlier about doing your research concerning Juneteenth, um, because you wanted to find out on your own. Because everybody's experiences with different people groups differ from person to person and situation to situation. And so, what 
may happen with one person doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be your story. Um, so, uh, and also, even when you don't have interactions with people and you want to find out their history, you want to find out different things that they're doing. I mean, it's up to us to really be proactive and not be passive because uh, mainstream media will continue to feed us the things that that gets them ratings. And it's always yeah. bad news and negative things. But if we really want to find out the truth about things, oftentimes we have to search for truth. Uh, we have to we have to step out and we have to really find out whether what we're being told is true. So that's one way I think that can help um, the, the, the whole idea of anti-racism. Um, the other thing is, and I think that uh, our relationship is a testament to it, is learn how to fellowship with one another, right? We, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Alex and his beautiful wife, Darby, we, we've hung out, we've had dinner together, we broke bread, or we fellowshiped in each other's church churches. And so that is that those are also proactive measures to kind of dispel any myths that perhaps um, you may have had based on your background and myths that I may have had based on my background, right? And so I think that we really need to, to be intentional about spending time with people that don't look like us and have different uh, cultural backgrounds. And we'll find that we have so many more uh, uh, likenesses versus the differences that we had. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I found that uh, just sharing meals with anyone uh, just builds so many bridges and it tears down so many barriers, uh, whether that's someone from a completely different faith or just someone from a, a different uh, background than myself. Um, how do you think we should practically? And because sometimes I think it's real easy for me to go online and be like, I stand with my black um, friends and neighbors and coworkers. Uh, it's real easy to post that on social media, but what does that actually look like on an, you know, an everyday basis? And I think Sometimes it's hard for me and I'm sure it's hard for some of my, my people to be like, so what does that look like on an average day at work? You know, like, can you share maybe some practical ways that we can be good allies to our black coworkers and neighbors, um, our, our family members, our friends, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have two words that I want to throw out there. Um, one is consistency and the other one is empathy, Right. So let's deal with the consistency piece first, is that, you know, oftentimes I remember when um, the George Floyd tragedy took place, uh, I, I probably received a call from every white pastor, every white person that I knew <laughs> yeah. to express their sympathy, right, and their concerns, right? And I was grateful for the call. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have to do it. Um, but as the hype kind of waned, so did the passion for the communication, right? It was no consistency, right? It's kind of like, uh, when a person dies, this was the analogy I heard, and I thought it was really good. You know, when when a when a loved one dies, you know, when it happens within a certain time period, you're getting all kind of cards and you're getting all kind of visits and phone calls and things of that nature, as if after two or three weeks after this tragedy happens, that you you no longer feel the grief that you feel. Mm. But the reality of it is, is that because people are not consistent with 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 supporting people through their grief. Um, they feel like they're alone a couple of weeks after the incident. Yeah, and and it, it is and it, and we, so I, I believe that sometimes being a black man, and I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think I can speak for a large majority is that um, it's only uh, it, it seems the 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 relationships between 
and cross the racial lines only seem to matter when there's a tragedy. There's no consistency, right? Let's be let's 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 have the same type of passion that we have during the George Floyd time, during the time of peace, during the time of just there's nothing going on. Like yeah. I still want to see how my black brother and sister in Christ is doing, and I want to see how my white brother and sister in Christ is doing. Like let's just say consistent. Let's just share that passion all across the board, and I think that that will help. Very practical, right? But the same way we make. Um, uh, attempts to communicate with people that we're close to um you, you make the attempts to communicate with people that you're not so close to right it's just that consistency the other thing is empathy right is to to try to walk a mile in our shoes right uh, it's, it's very hard there are some challenges that both white black chinese whomever they deal with just living in this in this sinful world but there are certain things that are just um kind of uh, particular uh, to the black struggle. And so, um, you know, for example, uh, going into stores and being followed around or driving a certain kind of car and certain assumptions made about what you do based on the car that you drive. Uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen to other people, but it's much more likely to happen to us. And that, and that kind of um, creates a, 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 a hard shell, right? And so, Sometimes when you interact with people, empathize with the fact that you don't know what that person's been through throughout the course of their day, right? Uh, and so sometimes it takes a little bit longer to, for somebody to trust and somebody to um, open up and somebody to be vulnerable. And so I think when we really empathize with other people's plights, uh, we're able to really um, break those barriers down and the person will feel comforted and supported and knowing that you're at least trying to attempt to identify with some of the challenges that they've been going through. And I think that there's also true vice versa, because just because you're white doesn't mean that you are uh, uh, carefree, right, that things don't work out. And so we ought to learn to empathize with one, one another, be consistent with one another, right? The yin and the yang, we need to make sure that we look out for one another, similar to, again, our reference, our relationship. We used to uh, call each other for prayer requests. You yeah. know, you would reach out to me, I would reach out to you because we both needed prayer. It was just different kinds of prayers for different situations. So we were able to empathize and sympathize with one another. And that's, that's why we have such a, a good, fruitful relationship. Yeah, that's uh, that's helpful, Gerald. And uh, at the same time, it's very challenging because even as you're talking, I'm thinking of, of like, ah, I need to be better. I need to be better. And so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity because I know you've done conversations like this in different forms in the past and uh, you've answered many of my questions in the past. But is there anything you haven't been asked um, just around this topic of like how to be better allies to our Black brothers and sisters and uh, neighbors and friends and coworkers, or around racial reconciliation. There's something you wish you were asked and you never get asked it. Maybe we're just completely blind to it. Um, is there something you'd like to share like that? Um, yeah, actually, actually I would. Um, the one thing that I'm, I'm never asked um, is about how an adult should uh, teach their children how to coexist, right? So, if we want to be cycle breakers, if we want to be, if we want to be um, people who kind of stop the narrative uh, in its tracks, uh, we have to start to leave a legacy of training our our younger children on how to treat one another. 
And oftentimes we're concerned about how the adults treat each other, but we need to look back in the other generations. Like what are some of the things that should happen? You know, like uh, 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 one of my white brothers and sisters uh, say, hey, listen, what can I teach my three-year-old child now so that as they grow up, it's already kind of um, ingrained in them? Yeah. Or, or, or what, kind of, what kind of ways do you think that I could help our children to interact with black children, with, with other ethnicities so that they don't have to face the same challenges that adults have because um, segregation is real, right? Racism is real. All those things are real, but we have an opportunity, right? Uh, as, as the old saying goes, when we know better, we do better. But the, the doing better is not just for us. The doing better is to be able to do better and to be able to teach better. Yeah. And so um, that's one of the questions I've, I've never been asked is, is how do we how do we um, teach our children? How do we engage them? How do we have the conversation with them? How do we challenge them as well um, to have these good um, uh, interracial uh, relationships and things of that nature? So. I mean, there's probably a myriad of other things if I could, if I had an opportunity to think long enough. But but when that question was initially asked, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, that's uh, and I don't know if I've heard anyone talk a great deal about that. You're right. We're usually talking about how do you improve adult relationships, you know, and interactions. And really, if we want to move forward uh, culturally, generation generationally, uh, we're going to have to raise our children differently. And so um, now, do you look to the younger generations and see hope? Uh, do you feel hopeful? Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I don't. And because and, I, and I'll tell you why, um, because we haven't done a good job of, of training our children. Right. As the word says, in the way that they should go. They, we, we have not because we have been so preoccupied with all the things that are going on with us. We've kind of neglected them and left them to themselves. So when you leave them to themselves, then you leave them to social media. You leave them to all of the, all the other influences. And so they're learning on the fly. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of the story and the passage of Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about how that the parents and the family should be walking down the street, talking about the Lord, talking about things that, that are, are helpful, talking about things that are enriching. And so since everybody is, is always on the paper chase, trying to work these extra hours to pay these bills, Nobody's walking Side with hustle. their children and telling yeah. them anything. Yeah. Right. And so, and so we, we've left them to, we've left them to their own devices. And so uh, I'm not, I'm not hopeful. I, I work in a high school and I see um, certain things happen. Um, I see the interaction. I see the lack of social structure. I, I, I see all those things. So I'm not hopeful in humanity. However, I'm hopeful in Jesus. Yeah. And I know that he can make all things new. And I, and I know that nothing that goes on on this earth is without his uh, superintendence. I know that he sees, he knows all things. And, um, and I know that he is depending on us, the ones who do know, the soldiers in the army, uh, to really be impactful in this world. So he can take what we have, he can take our little and make it a lot. So I'm not hopeful in humanity, but I'm hopeful in God. I like that. I think that's a great place to end. I'm not hopeful in humanity, but hopeful in Jesus. Pastor Gerald, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you especially for taking this time uh, to talk with my church and with me this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful for you. We pray for Proclamation Community Church and you and your family. And uh, it's just, it, this is very special to me that you were willing to do this. 
And this is very valuable to me and I believe to my people as well. So thank you. Happy Juneteenth. And thank you so much for sharing with us some of your wisdom. Pastor Alex and, and Horizon, uh, thank you so much for just your ear. And I just want to let you know you've been a huge blessing to our church, not only in your prayerful support, but also financial support. And so our prayers would be faithful stewards of God's uh, people's money. And so uh, I just want to let you know that your money is going far here in the Northeast. Um, and we're and God is allowing us to do some, some real uh, big things and people are being blessed. So thank you so much for your love and support. And uh, just look forward to the next time we can fellowship. Thank you, Gerald.